Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Now, in order to make those, it was very scientific. Actually, it wasn't. I just reached out to my facilitators and had them denote for me who were regulars, who were sometimers, who were nearly nevers on their list. And uh, I took all the regulars, put them in a hat today. That one's going to James. That one goes to this one. That one goes to this one. And so, so everybody would have a good base of lease previously what was a regular <laughs> have a good base of regular some timers and then so and so forth I'm not going to tell you which one you were you know you know John chapter 19 verse number 17 I'm going to read just a, a few verses of scripture I really uh, feeling very very uh, the gumption to get through this chapter tonight and I think we can some of it is just really a narrative and a story in many regards and so but I'm just going to read a portion of it and then we'll go from there I'll probably read uh, maybe the first uh, going from verse 17 to verse 24 to start with the Bible says and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one, Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And this title when then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews. I love it. This is a verse I just, one of those verses I just really love in Scripture. The, 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 the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, did Therefore, the soldiers did. Just very simply tonight, I'm going to talk about crucified, died, and buried because that's what happens here within these many verses of Scripture throughout the rest of this chapter. Crucified, died, and buried. And I know when we talk about these things, this is some, oh, I know that. They talk about that every Resurrection Sunday. So please don't check out. Amen, just because it's something that you may be familiar with. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight. God, we're so thankful, Lord, for another time, Lord, to be here. Lord, to God, invest our lives, Lord, in your word, and your word in turn. God helps us and invests itself in us. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, this evening. God, open our mind of our understanding, I pray, Lord, tonight. God, bring enlightenment to our hearts and our souls. 
and will not fail to thank you and praise you for the lovely name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. The Bible says in verse 17, and he bearing his cross. It was a common practice among the Romans and the Roman government uh, that whenever they did have a convict or a criminal that they led to crucifix, it was the common practice for that individual to carry or bear their own cross. Now, John, you already know that John's a little different than the other Gospels, right? Uh, he kind of comes uh, at a different slant. He has different stories or other information that's not contained, that are contained in others, and this is John. And so John doesn't mention anyone, as the other Gospels do, of anybody else coming to help bear the cross of the Lord. You'll read in the other Gospels, one by the name of Simon of Serene, who was compelled by the soldiers to aid in carrying the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But John doesn't mention that. He wants to convey to us that he carried his cross. And all the others do as well, but they also mention then later that Simon the Serene was compelled uh, to also help carry the cross. Because remember, everything that the Lord has already went through, right? Uh, as we stated last week, if he had to have help to carry it, it wasn't because he was a weak man, it's because he was a beat man. I mean, he's already lost however X amount of blood we don't know, right? And he's went through this horrible scourging and, and uh, you know, his back and things just laid open and all these things that has happened. He's been really sleep deprivation has played into all this as we looked at a few weeks ago you know from arrest to trial to trial it's just one thing right after another so he's probably sleep deprived as well so we got all these things into play but he carried his cross and what's i say neat but how the bible fits together oftentimes as it does when you go back to genesis 22 and you read about uh, abraham taking isaac his only begotten son up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him up there. And as they are going up the mount, the Bible says that Isaac carried the wood. And that mirrors then to the Lord carrying his wood. Isaac was carrying the wood that was going to be used for his self being sacrificed, just as Christ would carry the wood, the cross for himself to be sacrificed and the reason why that's so neat is then whenever Isaac finally asks Abraham said we got the wood we got the fire but where's the sacrifice that famous phrase in Genesis 22 whenever Abraham looks at Isaac and said the Lord shall provide himself yes. uh, what's so great about it, it does say he shall provide for himself it says the Lord shall provide himself a lamb and so those things kind of connect back and forth. And so Jesus carried his cross as far as possibly he could carry the cross. And then soldiers again compelled Simon the Serene to bear the cross. Luke says it like this in Luke 23, 26. It's just a reference. It won't be up there. That he might bear it, speaking of Simon, after Jesus. Some depict that as Simon uh, as Jesus not carrying the cross from there on out and then Simon carrying it for him. Others depicted as though he got behind the Savior in carrying that wooden member and being, he carried it after the Lord. Amen. And so which way it really is, I don't really know. Amen. But a couple of possibilities. Nonetheless, there was a help with Simon getting under the load with Jesus of bearing the, bearing the cross. And so Simon did not, and this is important, though, I think, in the order that Simon did not bear a cross that Jesus didn't first bear. 
which is good for all of us. You don't bear a cross that Jesus didn't first bear. Amen. Uh, the, the, the verse is going to my mind. If it's been done unto the least of them, it's been done unto him, but more so that, that the servant is no greater than his master. And that if he even told them, he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so know well that there's no cross that you bear that he hasn't bore or he didn't first bear, amen, for us. And so we are admonished, though, in Scripture. At different times, Jesus has said this. You see this in the Gospels. We see this in Luke, uh, the one that I think of in particular. He tells his disciples, deny yourself and take up your and follow me. He states that before the cross is even in view. I mean, this is early on, yet he's already starting to share the way in which his path is going to go. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And so we are admonished then to take up our cross and follow him. Why? What's the reason of this taking up our cross and following him? Because taking up our cross and following him will ultimately lead us to the crucifix. Hopefully will ultimately lead us to our own crucifix of crucifying the flesh that we all contend with from day to day. And so again, Jesus is foreshadowing a little bit uh, about how he would die. Uh, did they know? Did they know then when he said, take up your cross and fall? Did they know then what they know now? Probably not. Matter of fact, from what we see in Scripture, quite possibly they have had the slightest idea, like, yeah, we're going to follow the Lord. Yeah. You know? It's like those people that just get on the horse because the horse is there, you know what I'm saying? And so probably not. So Jesus bore his cross, the Bible says, to the place of the skull, to the place of a skull. Uh, the, the meaning thereof uh, in, in the Hebrew and Aramaic, Golgotha, it's called Golgotha. That's its interpretation, the, the, the place of the skull. As you say, well, we also call it Calvary. Yeah, that comes from Latin. It also means the place of the skull. And so if you follow him bearing your cross, he'll lead you to the place of the skull. What's, what's interesting to me that Golgotha and Calvary is the place of the skull and that this is the place where the greatest victory of the world, of the greatest battle of all time, ever took place. The reason why this is so interesting to me is because I think it's still one of the biggest places and greatest battlefields there is still in our lives. The battle took place at the place of the skull. And whenever I think of my skull, I think what's contained in there, my brain, I think of my mind. And still yet a large proponent battleground for us as Christians is at the place of the skull. The struggles are not so much uh, out here in the environment or the surroundings. Before they're ever there, they're here. The battleground of the place of the skull, our minds. And the Bible says, and they crucified him. As a matter of fact, I think it's Luke, Matthew, one of the other Gospels. It basically says the, the words that they crucified him. And it's like three words for a whole lot that wasn't even talked about. Right? It's just they crucified him. Well, victims that were crucified were typically nailed or tied to, I know what the pictures have, and they've taken this whole cross thing, you know, and they're carrying it. But they usually are, are either tied or nailed to just the cross beam 
of the cross. And that's usually the member that they carried, the cross beam of the cross. And so when they were crucified, they would stretch out their arms on that cross beam and they would either tie, and we know our, our Lord nails, he was nailed into that cross. And then they threw some way, I don't know if they had a pulley system, that's pretty old mechanics pulley system, but some way they would hoist that individual up on the vertical beam that was already situated in the ground. So imagine for a moment, you're stretched wide, already nailed to a wooden beam, and now they're, however, throwing a rope over, tying it, hoisting you. With each pull, you fill in a pool. Hoisting you up on a vertical beam to affix you there. Now, they typically did not, I know we have all the pictures, and you can't always trust pictures, all right? Right? Some artists, a lot of times, he's not even consulting the Bible. He's just painting or drawing. And the cross typically, history says, these crosses were not typically very far off the ground, a couple, two, three feet off of the ground. But nonetheless, they would hoist them up there, and then they would lay one foot over top the other, and they would pierce through their feet against the cross sometimes on these crosses they had uh, what I would call I would not dare call it a seat I call it a little perch sticking around uh, their midsection where maybe the crucified victim could rest every once in a while because you got to understand what's happening in crucifix your hands are are stretched wide your feet are where they are all that weight of your body tired weight mind you is hanging down and so that's compressing your, your chest cavity and your diaphragm, whenever you breathe, your chest expands, all right? And so in order to be able to get a decent breath, many times they'd say those, those, those victims would pull on the nails in, in their wrist or hands and push with their feet just to take an adequate breath to fill their chest cavity so their diaphragm could fill up and then they would let it out. So you're in this constant, no wonder he was the one with the bruised heel. If he didn't do that, he, he probably, and most did, would die of suffocation or asphyxia because not being able to get the proper breath. If they had a little perch on the cross, maybe he could rest there. Some say, well, that, that's very merciful, but others say it's torture because all it is is prolonging the inevitable. Prolonging the agony of a person that's going to die. And the Bible says that Jesus is in the midst. We know there was a, a man on his left and a man on his right. The Bible says that Jesus was in the midst. And as you read the Bible story, it'd be good to start running references back to Psalms and Isaiah and all those things and start to see how many things are being fulfilled in Scripture. Because Isaiah said that he was numbered with the transgressors. And so here he is in the midst. Jesus wasn't crucified alone. He didn't die by himself. He was crucified between two criminals. Again, John, he does not record the record, all right, of the, the, the other criminals' conversation between themselves or their conversation with, uh, with the Lord. You see that in the other Gospels, but John doesn't uh, describe that. But for me, it's important for John to pin that Jesus was in the midst. And the reason why that's important to me, this is just McGee, okay? The reason why that's important to me is because long ago, whenever 
God want to manifest himself in the Shekinah glory above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant that was in the holy place. The Bible says that he told them that I'll come between the two cherubim that are on the mercy seat and I'll make myself known to you there. He says, I'll show up between the cherubim. But now, in essence, the presence of God is in the midst between thieves on the cross. He has went from being in the midst of the angelic to being in the midst of the diabolic. He has went from being in the midst of the holy to being in the midst of the unholy. And he fulfills Philippian scripture them that said that he speaking that God in Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, being in the midst. And the scripture says that Pilate wrote a title or he wrote an inscription, all right? Uh, it's probably Pilate really didn't write this. He's the leader. He's the commander. He probably commanded somebody to write it, and they wrote it based upon his command. That's the reason why Scripture says that Pilate wrote it. Amen, because he's the commissioning officer. But he worded this inscription, and the inscription was typically, you can read history on this, it was either put on the cross, put over the head of the one that was convicted, or a man would walk in front with the placard or the title that was written concerning the criminal. All right, amen. But this, was, this inscription was put on the cross and so uh, of the conviction, of whatever the conviction was, typically. And they would lead them through the streets to the place of crucifix. And they tried to make sure that their path from judgment hall to crucifix was a long journey because they wanted everybody in the city Everybody to know what this person had been convicted of and for them to be an example so nobody else be as stupid as this man or woman or whoever it was was. So they're going to lead, they're just going to serpentine through the city, make it a long journey so they can make an example of this person that's being led through the streets. They want as many as possible to see it, all right? Now, I saw this in a few different sources. One was particularly in a book called A Family Guide to Biblical Holidays. That's interesting because John, along this journey that we've been studying, constantly reflects back on Jesus being the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. He corresponds so many times with the Passover Lamb that I've pointed out to you over the past whoo, weeks of studying this and this little indication of a sign or a placard around even the neck of a criminal, amen, is so important because Passover lambs, whenever families brought their Passover lambs to Jerusalem or purchased their lamb to be sacrificed, they adorned their lamb with a tag about its neck with the family name on it. So as it got with all the other lambs, that lamb would still be identified as their lamb. On this placard, Pilate has written, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. What's being noted on the Lamb of God? Jews, he's still your lamb. He belongs to you, not just to you for that matter, but for the entire world, he is the Lamb of God. Amen. It sets him aside from every other lamb. It identifies him 
as theirs. And so the writing, the Bible says, this is, we've just read this. This is just a little narrative, a story, a great story, more than a story, a true story. Amen. That they wrote it in Greek and they wrote it in Latin and they wrote it in, in, in Hebrew. They covered all the areas of society with doing this. Uh, the Latin language was, was predominantly uh, known by the Romans and it had to do with the Roman law, Latin. And then there was Greek that normally was greatly associated with philosophy and all the other Gentiles and then you had Hebrew that was greatly associated with religion and the Jewish people so it's hitting all these different sectors all these different areas of society to know that this is Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews and the chief priest says when they saw that they're like hey buddy Pilate I hope you got your eraser bub because let's not say that he's the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. But there was no mistake in what was written. Matter of fact, I don't know if Pilate was being a little ornery because he was convinced. It seemed, although he worked against his own decision, his own conviction, and made the wrong decision to release him to be crucified, I don't know. But nonetheless, he says, what is written is written. And so they bring him there, and uh, they crucify him. They put him on the cross. And so there's about four soldiers as was, was predominantly uh, uh, assigned to the Lord. And it was common practice of crucifixion for the, the clothing spoils of the victim to go to the soldiers who had taken care of him and was responsible for his crucifix. And so they began to uh, cast lots, if you will, for his clothing. A typical Jew had about five articles of clothing. He had his shoes, he had his turban, he had his girdle, he had his tunic, and then he had an outer court. Well, they, yeah, four soldiers, you can divide four of those things, but something's, nonetheless, uh, uh, shoes may be lesser important than a tunic. You know what I'm saying? They're not of all equal value. So it's quite possible there's this casting of lots uh, to get these different things distributed to each one. And particularly, the Bible says this coat that was without seam or this seamless garment was decided by lot. They weren't going to cut it up. They weren't going to divide it. They were going to just let that go to one person. The Bible says now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. The Aramaic, which is something typical of them speaking of that day, Jesus even himself translates that his tunic was entirely woven from above. Well... You know, that's kind of like what Jesus has been saying all along. I'm from heaven. I'm from above. I came down. He's been trying to insert that into their hearts, into their minds. According to historian Josephus, Josephus says that the seamless tunic designed without seam was indicative of a tunic that was for a priest. A priest. There's some that refute that, but Josephus says that emphatically it was a without seeing meant that that was for a priest. Then I began to question, where did Jesus get this tunic? Did he buy it at the, you know, nickel and dime store? <laughs> did he have a dollar general? I began to think, Brother Trout, did his mother make it for him? The only reason why I say that is because in 1 Samuel, and I even use this sometimes in our baby dedications, the Bible talks about how Samuel was taken to the house of the Lord and he was given into the Lord uh, for the purpose of priesthood. And that year to year, his mother would bring a little coat. She'd, bring him, she'd make him bring him a coat year by year. 
And there are some scholars, I found I wasn't by myself, there are some scholars that believe that perhaps Mary did make it. And for me, as just being a part of this fabric of humanity, I'm thinking, if she did, just if, if she did, what was going through Mary's mind? Because she was there at the cross. We see this here in just a little bit, that she was standing at the cross. What was going through her mind when she witnessed these soldiers casting lots for something that she may have handmade for her boy? Now, listen, and what I'm, giving, what I'm caught doing is prodding you just to think tonight, okay? I know, it's scary. But the Bible says in more than one place, different things happened in Jesus' life, and the Bible would quote, and Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Something else would happen, and it will read, and these sayings Mary pondered in her heart. I don't know, Sister McGee, if perhaps maybe Mary just wanted to reveal through something that she made of what she had pondered in her heart that this man is a priest. The high priest. The high priest that's going to enter once and for all and offer a sacrifice that is sufficient for the sins of the people. There's much spoken in the rest of chapter 19. You can look at verse 24. Uh, I tell you also look at verse 28, 36, 37, because all of these talk about such and such done so that Scripture might be fulfilled. Or Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, said, I thirst, so and so forth. So not only in, in what's being portrayed and what's being carried out here in chapter 19, not only is humanity's need being met, but God's word is being fulfilled. And really, Sister Malin, God's word is being fulfilled literally and figuratively because Jesus was the word that was made flesh. It's being fulfilled literally and figuratively. Now, the Bible goes on and says, and I'll start back up with verse number 25. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, which we come to conclude from what we have read, that this disciple is John himself, whom he loved, he he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. What a tremendous thing. We've talked about this, I know, in times past. Jesus is in agony on the cross. He's going through the utmost pain, but he's not leaving family matters undone. By this time, we really don't read much of Joseph. It's highly because we don't. There's there's a trick along the way that Joseph kind of falls off the scene. You don't hear about him anymore, which probably denotes that Joseph, Joseph died, all right? His stepdad died. And so there's Mary, Jesus, the oldest of them, be his responsibility to take care of mama. And from the cross, while he's in agony and pain, he's taking care of family matters to make sure mom. John, take care of mom. Mom, this is your son. And from that moment on, John took Mary to his own home. See, big deal. I'll tell you what the big deal is. This is a big deal to me. When I think about it, On the day of Pentecost, Jesus told his disciples, tarry ye in Luke. 
in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. The promise of the Father. You're going to teach all nations, baptizing them. Jerusalem. He told his disciples that. Who's in the upper room? His disciples and mom. How did mom know to be there? Thank God for John. Thank God for John. The same experience they had, she has. Because Jesus was diligent from the cross to make sure she was in the right hands to lead her to her Pentecost. My Lord, I wonder how many Johns are among us that Christ would say, if you'll take care of that one. Malin, there's your son, so to speak. Malin, take care of that one. Why, Lord? You'll see, because I'm entrusting you to help them meet their Pentecost. Whew. The gravity of that is overwhelming. So I got to stay where I'm at here. All right, verse number 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things, here it is, were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. This, again, he says this because this is another fulfillment of scripture taking place. He says, I thirst, they were going to do this thing. This is different from that which they put to his mouth or wanted to put to his mouth earlier that he refused because that which they put to his mouth earlier was mixed with things in order for the purpose of convicts to deaden the pain. He refused that because he wanted to feel all the pain because the pain was for you. So this differs from that. This, this, is a different, this is a different scenario. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up. Gave up the ghost. He said, it's finished. Whenever Jesus said it was finished, and you can read it there in the Greek, it's as though it was something boisterous, as though somebody that's winning a game, winning, you know, a race. It's finished. Not like, you know, it's finished. No, it's finished. Now, I am finished, but it is finished. Everything I've done, what I've worked up to, it's finished. He bows his head, and he gave up the ghost. Again, we've said it a thousand times, a thousand one. They didn't take his life. He gave his life. He gave up the ghost. Now, just back up here just for a moment. Mary's standing at the cross. I can't even imagine. Can you mothers imagine standing at the cross where your little, whatever their name is, where Logan strung up. You see his liver because he's been beaten so badly. He's bleeding. He's been hit in the face. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's been pierced through his hands. He's been hoisted up. He's been there for however long. He is, he is gasping for every breath. <clears throat> You're standing there at the cross. And Bishop, I was reading this week in Matthew, and it made me think of this. Because when I read in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and in the beginning it's telling the birth of Jesus. It's like, ah, you know. And the Bible speaks to us that the wise men came and they asked, where is the king of the Jews? Which is amazing. People who were not even covenant with the Jewish people knew about the king of the Jews at his birth. And they're denying it at his death. 
But nonetheless, they say, we're the king of Jews, and they say Bethlehem, and, and Herod's like, oh, if you find him, let me know so I can come and worship. That was hodgepodge, okay? That was just a lie. He wanted to kill him. Because when they say king of the Jews, he's seeing threat, very similar to the now of Jesus' death. He's seeing a threat to his position. And whenever the Bible says that the wise men went home a different way and they didn't say anything to Herod about finding him, the scripture says that Herod, from all those that were two years old and below, in that, that where Jesus was, then he had a slaughtering of two, those two years old and under. But angel of the Lord had already come to Joseph, told him that something bad was about ready to happen. He says, I want you to go down to Egypt because of this. And then... Angel of the Lord tells him these words. For those who sought the child's life, he said, are dead. Just think for a moment. Just want you to think. I read that this week, Sister Sheila. And I asked myself, if Mary knew that an angel would show up and let her know and her husband know that this man that was wanting to kill their baby Jesus because he felt threatened by him and his position that he was now dead and they were free to go. I wonder if Mary's mind as she stood at the cross is racing back to that moment when Jesus was just a child because someone wanted her son dead then because his existence felt like a threat to them. A threat to their position, a threat to their power. But now she's standing in a similar position. Someone wants his son dead now because they feel a threat to their authority and a threat to their power. However, when he was a child, the person ended up dying and her son lived. And I thought, Bishop, only a mother can really gauge the irony of all this right now as her son is hanging on the cross. And this is total speculation on my part, but I think it's something we should think about. Mary may have thought, why couldn't what happened when he was two? Seemed like a lot of the same dynamics, same wishes and desires. Why couldn't what he happened at two now happen that he's 33? Very similar. My son now appears to be a threat and people want him dead. Before, they died and my son lived. But this time, my son must die so others can live. Amen. Amen. And so going on, it is finished, right? He gave up the ghost, verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was preparation... Preparation of Sabbath, preparation in, in, in the, the Passover, that the body should not remain upon the cross. That was a law for the Jews, that they would not be on there on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. And so the Jews are like, we can't allow these bodies to stay on the cross. We got Sabbath, right? I mean, we're, whenever it hit nightfall, The day of Sabbath started because they reckoned the day from evening to morning. The day for Sabbath started. And so, like, we can't have them up here. We got to be taken. Said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break their legs. Because if you have broken legs, you can no longer at least push 
to get the air. Right? No longer push to get the air. And so the Bible says in verse number 32, then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him, with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, break not his legs. Now, listen to me. Jesus, Max Licato's got a book about it. Uh, six hours on Friday, right? Because Jesus was on the cross literally for about six hours. Six hours on the cross. Most of history says that people that were on the cross, even going through the, the scourging as they did, lingered in dying. Sometimes even took days for them to die. Yet he, six hours, dead. If everybody else seems to take longer than that, by all means, why in the world would he be six hours wrapped up? Again, proving that life wasn't taken from him. But he offered it. I'll say when this is over. I'll say when this is over. So it proves again that Jesus gave his life according to the Father's will. Verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Pierce the side of the Lord Jesus. Let's go a little further. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. John speaking of himself. He knoweth that he saith true, that he might believe. John said, this, what we have, according to John, I was there, which he was. You have an eyewitness account. This is not third string, fourth string. This is not rumor. I was there. For these things were done, verse 36, that the scripture should be here again, a fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. That was true of Passover lambs. No bone of their body was to be broken. It's true of our Passover land. It's a fulfillment of scripture, verse 37. And again, another scripture says, they look on him whom they pierce. That's in Zechariah. Now, this is interesting to me about Zechariah. When you go to Zechariah, you can read it for yourself in Zechariah 12 and verse number 10. The Lord God said, everybody say God said. Listen to me. God said, they shall look upon me. Are you hearing me? They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. God said but this piercing is about the cross this piercing of course there are a lot of piercings we count the nail prints and all that but particularly the spear through the side this piercing is about what happens to jesus but god said they shall look upon me no man has seen god at any time god said they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. What is this? i tell you what Zechariah, amen, 12, 10 is. It is another proof that Jesus was God in flesh. God said they shall look upon me whom they pierced. They pierced Jesus. They look up. God manifested in the flesh on the cross. Now look, this is interesting to me. It might not be interesting to you. That's fine. You ain't got to hear me on a Wednesday night like this for whatever, 12 weeks. But it interests me. So listen. Zechariah 13 and verse 1. This is in the same setting. Of they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Talking about this day, in that day. We come to Zechariah 13, 1, speaking of the same day in Zechariah that it's speaking of. It says, in that day, there shall be a fountain 
opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for what? For sin and for uncleanness. What did John say? They pierced him in his side and outflowed blood and water. Zechariah said, in that day, there will be a fountain. Woo! And the purpose of the fountain will be for sin and uncleanness. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There was a fountain, if you will. There was a fountain of blood and water for the sin and the uncleanness of his people. Amen. Everybody doing okay? You're saying, Brother McGee, I can't believe you're doing this. I know it. You're surprised, aren't you? Verse 38, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus. Anybody ever heard it? We've heard of Nicodemus, right? John 3, he's showing up again. And there came also Nicodemus, which, and John does this, I believe, with purpose, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Nicodemus, who at first had come to Jesus by night, right? Under the cloak of darkness, he comes, son of man, uh, must we be born again? Or, or how, how can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus gives him these answers about you must be born of the water and the spirit or you cannot enter and you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is processing all this. But after everything that has taken place, the one that sought him used to in dark is coming to him still while it is day. The message Bible says it like this. Nicodemus who first come to Jesus at night came now in broad daylight. And he comes bearing spices, myrrh and aloe spices. This is a hundred pound, it says a hundred pound, let me find it again, a hundred pound weight uh, in our modern day standards, by modern day standards, he brought about 65 to 75 pounds of spices to be used to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. Now, that, was, that was typical. They did that for those they buried. But it being... A hundred pound weight, or today's standard, 65, 75 pounds of weight. John includes that with purpose. Because, yeah, every, everybody is anointed and has the, all this. Whenever they're going to die, they're going to make sure, you know, it kind of uh, covers up the putrefaction of the body and so on and so forth. But this amount, history says, this amount of spices, this amount of, of ointments that are brought were the amounts equal to that which would be brought for a king. We have no king but Caesar. Don't put king of Jews on that sign. But Nicodemus is bringing enough ointment to do the respect for a king. Joseph and Nicodemus, we don't really hear much about them. 
secret disciples. I guess you don't, do you? Oh, boy, I didn't mean to drop that one. Sorry. <laughs> that was totally innocent, okay? Kind of afterthought, but nonetheless. Joseph and Nicodemus. Now, they're a part of the Sanhedrin. They're part of the Sanhedrin. They're part of those that's going to sit around and listen to the proceedings about the Lord's trial whenever he was among the Jews. The Bible tells us in Luke 23, 51 that Joseph did not consent or did not approve or agree with the council or their deed of crucifying the Lord. Do you know you cannot agree and also not verbally refute? No, no, you don't get what I'm saying. You cannot agree with something but also not voice your agreement or disagreement. Just because it said he didn't consent doesn't mean he was like, oh, no, you're not doing this. He probably died too. He just didn't agree. But it doesn't seem like neither Nicodemus nor Joseph did anything about their disagreement. That's when silence does speak. That's when silence does speak. Continuing on, continuing on. All right, all right. 40, look, I got three verses. I'm here and tell you right now. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. This was their custom. This is the way they did it. Now in the place, follow these last few verses. I'm about ready to end it up here. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. Right, Sabbath is coming. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. He says he was crucified. He was crucified. Now in the place, verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden was a new tomb. Bishop, everything just started just congealing in my mind because Jesus was Buried in a garden tomb. He was crucified in proximity to the garden. He said he was crucified in the garden. He was arrested in a garden. He will, by virtue of where he was buried, resurrect in a garden. And all of this for me as a pastor ties me back and attaches me to the original garden. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam was betrayed in the garden, crucified in the garden, buried in the garden, and will resurrect in a garden for all of us of the Adamic nature and Adam types. Listen to me. Where sin took place, a garden. Listen to me very clear. I, I'm coming to a close. Where sin took place, a garden. Now, the death, the burial, and the resurrection will take place. Yes. Woo! Will take place in a garden to deal with the original sin that first took place. Woo! Hallelujah in the garden. You want to know how your sin needs to be taken care of? What happened in the garden needs to be taken care of in the garden. His death, his burial, 
his resurrection. Verse 41 says, wherein was never man yet laid. The tomb that he went to, the sepulcher. Remember the Bible talks about that he was buried with the rich. Huh? It was, where never a man was laid. Because that's said with purpose. Because I know it. We believe in recycling today, but they believed in recycling tombs. Yeah. A body lay there for a while, Brother Fred, and went through its deterioration, and the bugs came and ate and did all their thing, and it brought it down to seemingly nothing. They would reuse that tomb. They'd put old John in there next, you know. Let the same thing happen to him, then Larry go in there. All right? So what's the big deal, Brother McGee? I'll tell you what the big deal is. No one had never laid in this tomb. It's a new tomb. He was the only one that was laid in the tomb. He's then going to be the only one that's going to be missing from the tomb, which means he's the only one that could have resurrected from the tomb. No, 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 no. You hear what I'm just saying? If we had three other bodies that had been placed in there and now Jesus is placed in there, it had been very easy for someone to say, oh, well, you know, perhaps it was blah, blah from years ago. No, 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 no. There was only one that went in the tomb. There's only one missing from the tomb. So there's only one that could have resurrected from the tomb. And that, whoo, that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me and I'll close. They placed him in the tomb, the Bible says, because it was nigh. They placed him in the tomb because it was close. The message Bible says they placed him in the tomb because it was convenient. Burial followed, followed the death quickly, right? Because of preparation of Sabbath. Burial followed the death quickly because the tomb was nigh. Sabbath was approaching. And the Bible tells us in the message, just use the way that it terms it, that the tomb was convenient. When we talk about death, burial, and resurrection, and we pair that with our repentance, baptism, and infilling of the Holy Ghost, as Paul did in Corinthians and Romans, <laughs> the tomb was convenient. It was nearer as nigh. It reminds me of Acts 8. Whenever they meet the, Philippine, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip it was that goes up into the chariot with him and begins to teach him a Bible study and says all things concerning Jesus. And he talks to him about baptism. And as they're going along in the chariot, lo and behold, the eunuch says, Hey, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Baptized paralleled with the Lord's burial. You know what the eunuch was saying? It's convenient. It's close. It's near. What keeps me from being buried? Can I tell you today that the tomb is still convenient? The tomb is still convenient and should be convenient in every. It might not always be warm, but it's nigh. It's close. Amen. And we can still be buried in it. Amen. In Jesus' name. So, 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 so crucified, death, and buried. And poor Jesus is going to have to stay in the tomb until I get back and I'll continue this series on Sunday mornings until I finish it. I got two more chapters. I can't leave the Lord in the tomb. It's only three days and I'm going to be gone for longer than that. So I feel like injustice to him, you know. <laughs> Crucified, buried, amen, and just laid to rest. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes tonight. And let's, let's pray. Let's pray this evening. And I want this to be your prayer, that if you've not yet experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life, I want you to pray and just be open with God and say, Lord, I want that experience to be mirrored in my life. Lord God, we come to you tonight.
God, we appreciate you. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for it. God, through this, Lord, God, we understand the gravity, Lord, of the pain. God, the agony and the struggle. God, and you did that. Lord, you, Lord, forsook your life so I could have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray, God, help me, Lord, to mirror, Lord, your death in my repentance, in my turning around, in that 180-degree turn, Lord, in my life. Help me, Lord, to mirror, Lord Jesus, your burial in my baptism in your name. Lord being submerged in a watery grave God as a seed that's planted in the soil Lord as it's stated in the book of Romans I pray oh God today help me Lord to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost God a personal experience living inside of me of your spirit I pray oh God today let that be marked likewise Lord in my life God I desire that I want that I want everything Lord that you have for me everything God that you would want Lord for me to experience I want to experience Lord in my in my life help me Jesus today lead me and guide me and open your word and understanding to your word God even Lord God to these last moments Lord in John God of how they relate to me Lord and a relationship I can have with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray hallelujah and amen and the church say amen. amen amen next Wednesday you will come in, you will go, we've done this a couple of times, so you should know, you can go to your respective groups, the paper will be there, or it'll be online as well, remember there's a group online for those that like it digitally, and so that will be there as well, you might, guys, those who are uh, over groups, you, unless you want to be the first one for the first Wednesday about your snack or whatever, you can take care of that, handle that however you desire, all right? But uh, anyway, amen. Again, if your name is not on those, which I think everybody here should be, maybe outside of our guest, Erica, but I think everybody else should be on those lists. But if not, talk to me and we'll pencil you in. All right? Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.